and welcome to Sequel Pitch, the movie lovers podcast that also dreams up some of the best, boldest and most bonkers sequels to movies that don't currently have them. I'm your host and four-time winner, Matt Viking Rushton, and joining me today, as always, first up, he puts the great in greater good, it's Andy Henry. <laughs> that was amazing, <laughs> thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello. Next up... Wishing he could grow that great big bushy beard. It's Ross Harmston. I wish I wish I could. Hello, everyone. Hello. And lastly, it's Auntie Jackie's sister's brother's boy. It's Drew Toynbee. <laughs> Yarp. <laughs> Hello. If you didn't suss it from the cryptic intro and terrible <laughs> accent, I do apologise. This week we are pitching. Fe- this week we are pitching sequels to the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost Gloucestershire set action comedy, Hot Fuzz. I just wrote my own tongue twister for the intro. <laughs> I do apologise. It is the second movie in the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Uh, so this week we are kind of living in the grey zone as this movie is part of a trilogy technically. However, wow. it very much is a standalone story in itself. So if you think we're breaking the rules, then Come at me, please, listeners, email us at complaints.sequelpitch at pretendemail.com. Thank you very much. Let's Forward get... slash fuck you. <laughs> Drew, as you can tell, handles the complaints department. Yeah. <laughs> so boys, let's get into it. For those of you who haven't watched Hot Fuzz or cannot remember this glorious point aside of a movie... Here is this week's 60-ish second summary, strictly not brought to you by Wikipedia. PC Nicholas Angel Simon Pegg is a high-achieving officer at the London Metropolitan Police Service. He's promoted to sergeant but is reassigned to the small rural town of Sandford, Gloucestershire, a regular winner of Village of the Year. Act 1 introduces Angel to the village and its many stereotyped residents. We also see him becoming more frustrated with the boring village and his lazy colleagues, including his partner, the drunker Nick Frost's PC, Danny Butterman, who just happens to be the son of Inspector Frank Butterman, Angel's superior. Around 40 minutes in, the lead actors of the local production of Romeo and Juliet are murdered by a cloaked figure who disguises it as a car accident. Angel suspects foul play. He is then sent to resolve another dispute where he discovers a stash of illegal weapons, including an old naval mine, and locks them in the police station. We see Danny and Angel bond over action movies, and at the same time there's a second covered up murder. This time a Walsy land developer is attacked in his home by the same cloaked figure and killed in a deliberate gas explosion. Angel begins to suspect that the killings are connected connected to a recent property deal. Each time someone offers to help Angel, they are killed off in blood-spurting fashion before they provide any information. Angel suspects Simon Skinner, the sinister manager of the local supermarket, as the as the culprit because the property deal would have built a rival supermarket. But Skinner has an alibi. Angel's attacked in his hotel room by one of Skinner's employees. Angel knocks him out and learns of a secret Neighbourhood Watch Alliance meeting at Samford Castle. Angel confronts the NWA, led by Danny's dad, Frank. He reveals (laughs) that they carried out the murders and staged them as accidents. Each victim supposedly threatens Samford's chances of winning Village of the Year. 
Angel flees and falls into the castle's catacombs where he finds the corpses of previous NWA members and victims. Danny appears and fakes killing Angel, pretending to dispose of the body. Danny drives Angel away and urges him to return to London for his own safety. He begins to leave, but changes his mind. Arming themselves with the earlier mentioned confiscated weapons, Angel and Danny engage in a shootout with the NWA. Frank flees with Skinner and after a car chase, Angel corners Skinner. Skinner ends up being impaled through the jaw by a miniature church steeple, while Frank is caught after being attacked by a crazed swan earlier in the movie. <laughs> Drew's groans, yes, this is quite gross sometimes. Angel's former superiors arrive and ask him to return to London, and as, as the crime rate has risen heavily in his absence, but Angel decides to remain in Sandford. While going over the paperwork, Tom Weaver, the last remaining MWA member, bursts into the station wielding a blunderbuss. He shoots at Angel, but Danny jumps in front, slow-mo style in, and, result in, and in the resulting struggle, Weaver accidentally activates the naval mine, killing himself and destroying the police station. One year later, Angel has been promoted to inspector and head of the Sanford police, and Danny is his sergeant. After visiting Irene's grave, the two drive off to their next crime scene, the end. 60-ish seconds. <laughs> so, yeah. basically, there's no summary that will ever do this movie or any of these three movies justice, I don't think. Did mm. we enjoy it, chaps? Oh, God, oh, yes. yes it's very much. An- another masterpiece, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, It is great. Fighting Ross, from Ross, you're less... Yeah, Ross, let's go straight to you. You mad <laughs> I was joking. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, no, yeah, it's a, a fantastic comedy movie. Uh, it hits on all the uh, good satire um, with action movies, uh, and I think it's a really... Mm-hmm. I, I personally prefer it to... Um, out of the whole trilogy that they've done, um, I think, yeah. for me... It, I just I like it because it's taking the mick out of loads of action movies and it's it's very much quotable more quotable I'd say than Shaun of the Dead maybe and also mm-hmm. and also World's End <clears throat> I think yeah. you're yeah. right I think it it's definitely the most well it is it is the only really human of the three uh it's got more of a grounding in reality and I think and I think that played with satire and stereotyped characters really feeds into what is such a quintessentially British but very internationally uh, enjoyable movie, I think. Drew, what were you thinking about it? I'm I'm a, a huge fan of this. I Interestingly, I remember being quite cold on it, particularly com- when compared to Shaun of the Dead, because mm. Shaun came out at a really formative time, like I was 15, Shaun of the Dead was one of the first 15s that I went to see, and like it was so quotable. It was like Shaun of the Dead and Team America yeah, were the yeah. two comedy films <laughs> yeah. that defined like my teenage years when you started spending more time at the cinema with girls as well, and everyone's quoting the films on the train on the way home. And so when this came out, it went under the radar for me a bit. But in the ensuing 14 years, I I think that it is, I think it's a better film than Shaun of the Dead, ultimately. I, I think it is funnier, but it's, it's cleverer. Yeah. Every single line of dialogue in this movie serves 
character and it's it's serving where characters have come from or where they're going to and it's so clever it's so little england it's it parodies action films really well but whilst being a genuinely good action movie at the end like they they really do it and it's yeah. it's interesting that it takes um it it takes the idea of a a policeman who is a badass because he's just a really good policeman. He's like (laughs) really responsible and really engaged with the community and always does the right thing. And they don't kill anyone in the fight at the end. Like they go through town shooting everyone, but it's all like non-lethal takedowns. And uh, yeah, it's just so clever. It's so, so clever. I love this movie. And it's, it has, it still has my favorite gif of all time, which is the two, Andy's the detectives moving off screen and then Paddy Considine comes back <laughs> yeah. on screen and goes so off. So good. Um, amazing. I love yeah. the music in it as well. Like it proper lends it to the sort of 90s action flick like with the yeah. Like really like really good like yeah good music. And the casting as well is brilliant. Like they've got every famous British actor <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Like Bill yeah. Nye, Steve Coogan, Martin Freeman. Like I love Olivia Coleman yeah. showing up as as the Randy Policewoman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doing all the innuendo, and since going on and winning all the Oscars and just being internationally beloved. Yeah. I I love spotting her in this film. It's yeah. just it's such a joy. I've had my top off in that lay boy. <laughs> I I midnight noble. I really love the quote. <laughs> Everyone and their mums is packing round here. <laughs> Who? <laughs> farmers' mums. <laughs> or oh, he says farmers. Yeah, farmers', farmers. mums. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a it's a brilliantly so written script. All the all the little jokes and the the NWA that the um uh, the evidence room code is nine nine nine. Just little things <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, it just makes you laugh every time. Yeah. I should have watched Sean actually because I was I was going to say I preferred Sean uh, to this. Uh, even watching it again now, but I should have watched Sean uh, in between. But I don't know. I still I like how we don't even refer to the third one though. Like, well, yeah, uh... I, I think I think World's End has its charms, but it's just obviously nowhere near as good as either of the others. Yeah, yeah I think. I mean, there was a big gap between making them as well, like in terms of release dates. So Shaun of the Dead came out in two thousand and four. Hot Fuzz was two thousand and seven. The mm. World's End didn't come out until two thousand and thirteen, and I do think you know this is. They all got. I kind of want to talk about they? times. Yeah, they mm. all got really busy. They got very busy. With with work you know yeah. yeah things like star trek were coming up and whatnot so god yeah you know they all started branching out into hollywood off the back of this success so you know paul was in there as well you forget yeah. that yeah Frost and well, Peg think, worked on paul as well i think edgar wright without trilogy. edgar wright that, yeah I, oh I yeah that that's such weird. a weird one i think yeah. i uh, edgar wright said he was working on um scott pilgrim at the either at the end of this or the at the end of uh mm. sean he did go on so, to pilgrim yeah he's been yeah and he spent a bunch of time developing his Ant-Man movie that never got made. Oh. Yeah. I know, it's a shame. But I think it's... and I'll come back to you, Andy, honestly, because I think there is more to say. But um, it, ultimately, what we have to do here is pay ultimate homage and respect to Edgar Wright and mm. Simon Pegg. You know, the writers. Edgar Wright directed all three. The two wrote all three. And you can tell they'd worked together on Spaced earlier. That's also something to bring into it, you know. Yeah. Their earlier yeah. work on Spaced, if any of you saw it, was 
you can see he almost had a genre and a cinematic style to himself even before they started these movies. Yeah. yeah. These movies just catapulted it into the mainstream. Yeah. And it kind of, you, you were starting on talking about kind of Sean and this movie, but kind of, do you want to elaborate a bit more on perhaps why you still prefer Sean? There's nothing wrong with preferring Sean. I didn't watch Sean uh, before the podcast. I should have, actually. But I would just remember watching Hot Fuzz. Yeah, like, the script is just dynamite. It's so well-written and stuff. Sean, I just remember, like, this one I chuckled. I think I chuckled more than I had, like, belly laughs, where I can remember belly laughing at Sean a bit more. Um, this one's quotable because I think it just has more lines that are quotable, as stupid as that sounds. You can't quote much from Shaun of the Dead, where every, like, third or fourth line, I think, in this film could probably be quotable, which isn't a bad thing. Um, yeah, but apart, apart from that, I can't say I, I didn't watch Sean, unfortunately, so I can't really explain too much why. Apart from saying I remember it just being funnier. Hmm. Um, I think we, I was kind of going to ask you what how you'd rate this against the others, but I think it kind of stands uh, stands to account where we all kind of sit with it. Um, I do want to know like how you guys feel about obviously this coming out and being packaged as a trilogy as it was. Do you think that had it not been associated with Shaun of the Dead and it just happened to be another movie that they were working on together, would it have done as well, do you think, without kind of that preconception of it being as part of a, you know, what was essentially going to become the Cornetto trilogy or... Yeah, anyway, I don't think so because I don't think it's that... Uh, the, only re- the only way it's tied really to Shaun, in, in my view, apart from the actors and, and crew and stuff, is the, the shot of the DVD case in the, in the store. Mm. Like, if, think... if, you, if you said to someone who hasn't watched any of these uh, any of the Cornetta trilogy, if you just showed them, like, Hot Fuzz or something like that, they would have, I think, just as much time. I th- uh, I th- yeah, go on, Ross. No, I was just going to say, like, I think that, unfortunately for them... It's the it's the difficult second album, isn't it? Like when this mm. came out, people had all, regardless of if it's if it's good or better, um, like Drew said, like it passed him by when the second one came out. Like, mm. and I think that a lot of people felt the same. I think, like you know, it's that difficult second album where everyone's expecting it to be as good as Shaun of the Dead, and maybe it didn't live up to their expectations when it came out in the cinema. However, when you rewatch it, it's mm. probably actually better as a film. Like when you grow up, oh, like I, I think it is really good. And but again, similar to Drew, when it came out, I probably actually thought Shaun of the Dead was better. Because again, and then the third one is is typical. It's unfortunately because because they're they branded it as a Cornetta trilogy. Eventually, yeah, it it kind of set them up to not fail because they're never going to fail. It, they were still popular movies, but it's always going to be harder for them because people are going to go, well, the second one was much better, or the first one was really good. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, from my perspective. Well. I I know that I've read various various things that said that the Cornetto trilogy thing was never intentional. It's a marketing um, thing, and probably. They basically just said they did Cornettos yeah. because it worked for the joke in the first. And they got one. really lucky, and then they were like, "Well, yeah." And then they were like, "Oh, we got given a load of free Cornettos yeah. for that, so let's put them in the next one." And, just... and because <laughs> we used red for sure, and let's use blue for mm. this, and mm. then that's kind of how it came around. 
I I think ultimately this film this film wouldn't exist without Sean having been the success that it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah. But yeah, it's what is different about it from Sean? Sean is Sean's sillier. Sean mm. is more about I think if maybe you... maybe this is the way to put it. Sean is more of a younger early to mid 20s man's film in that it is all Mm. about having to grow up and move past your younger relationships and take responsibility in things where hot fuzz on a character level is about a lonely guy learning to let people into his life i mean i think to respect that the world's end is about those who have grown up and moved forward with their lives, apart from some who are not willing to let go. I think that's actually a much clever analogy, whether they intended that to be the case mm. or whether that is just how we're now reading it as kind of movie enthusiasts. But I think it's certainly worth a conversation over yeah, a pint fair, of time about. Before, so. No, I mean, that kind of opened my eyes to it as Drew was saying it. I think I think going on to Drew's point, I think the reason Shaun of the Dead did so well, and it's it's it, because it's more fantastical. You're dealing with zombies, mm-hmm. um, so you can do a lot. I think you know you can get away with a lot more, and you can get more comedy out of it with real yeah. people dealing with a, a mental situation like a zombie outbreak. Yeah, I mean you and can more over the top comedy. As yeah, well. and I think with. Mm hot fuzz it's still like because they're homaging to action movies and they're homaging to all that so it's all over the top like that whole walk towards the camera that takes like a minute two minutes uh, where simon Pegg's just walking uh <laughs> and it's all the it's all the fast cutting like you you do the comedy but it's just in a different way it's if, if you look at each film as an homage to certain genres it's, mm-hmm. you know, the first one is an homage to horror. The second one is homage to action. The third one, I can't remember, uh, sci-fi, I sci-fi. guess? Sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. End of the world, <laughs> sci-fi. Um, and that's, Apocalypse, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's how you look at them. And that's how I, I viewed it. And when mm-hmm. writing my pitch for it, like, I was like, okay, it's an homage to this. So I've got to do, like, think about that, basically. I agree. I think... They they also come at very clever times, you know, with Shaun of the Dead two years after 28 Days Later came out, which is constantly held as in high esteem as perhaps the greatest yeah. zombie movie. So, and it's being British gives this even more clout that they can then go and completely satirize the genre. Excuse you know? me, how dare you? World War Z is up there as one of the greatest. <laughs> Not British, movies. though. It doesn't feed into my point about the fact that this <laughs> is British. British. No, I'm <laughs> um, but yeah, it's they are very clever. The fact that there's, I think there's like over a hundred action movies referenced throughout Hot Fuzz. Like yeah, the amount yeah. of time and effort to even pick those subtle nuances and references yeah. out. Love it. In itself is worth recommend, like, worth yeah. recognizing. But well, like Edgar Wright said, he wanted to make a big Hollywood blockbuster in a small UK like village. And I yeah. like like yeah. the end fight is well, like in a miniature in a miniature town and stuff, what? and it's just like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the, but at the same time, yeah, it's the end yeah. fight in a model village is. Uh, yeah, and when he gets like I when he gets poked sorry, through the Andy. door, oh, oh that's so yeah. good. Oh, that is so, so it's so yeah. well done. It's so awful. But yeah, your point of saying it was meant to be in a uh, high octane in a 
English town. <laughs> the actual quote is, we wanted to see high-octane, balls-to-the-wall action in Froome, <laughs> which is where I currently live. <laughs> but also, the theatre where they film Romeo and Juliet and the 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 um, dressing room murders and the scene at the bar after the show is the amateur theatre that I used to go to as a teenager, the barn in Welling Garden City. Nice. <laughs> and the barn in Welling Garden City, Welling Garden is where they filmed a load of the pubs for the world's end. So there we go. Oh, I really hoped you were going to admit that you were in one of the yeah, scenes. Yeah, I thought that's, <laughs> probably, that's probably why I didn't like it because I didn't get to do it. And so I was probably just bitter. Oh, dearie. My favourite uh, thing that's come out of Hot Fuzz is the TV edit that they did called Hot, oh, yeah, Hot yeah, Funk. Yeah. And it is so good. If you, if anyone gets a chance to see it, go on YouTube and put in Hot Funk. And it's just all the, it's the whole movie, but they've changed all the swear words to be ridiculous like change the funkin rec- record yeah. and <laughs> peas and rice and various other ones um you cheeky funster like that's a good one um, but yeah it's just so like i i just love it i love i love all the 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 relationships they have and i love i think it's because i'm a massive fan of action movies so like when i when i see it i'm like yeah this is so good like it's, mm. and i'd i w- would actually like to see a youtube video of all the references they make in the film to the action movies that they homage to it must exist mm. yeah it's always it's the 360 camera spin yeah from bad boys too yeah, 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 when, yeah when they're in the middle of wells market <laughs> that gets me and he's on a horse for some reason as well yeah, yeah. That's and i i love just one like yeah it's inter- interesting matt you were saying about how how timely is this film and I, mm. I i think that it does have timeliness to it but kind of retroactively like there's um there is a, an incredible youtuber um uh called movies with mikey a guy called mikey newman and um he made this this incredible point and i have to give credit to him for it of it's fascinating looking back at this film that at the time was just a silly movie um, with a really well-written but silly comedy movie. And now it's like, hey, look at these policemen. Like Danny has learned how to do all of his policing from action movies and he's and he's the poorer for it. There's the head of the police force who is extrajudiciarily killing people for the greater good and then making up reasons for it like it's it it, watching it now it takes on an entirely different meaning that i'm certain was not intended at the time absolutely not right then gents i think there's not much more to do gents then get your scores on the doors so andy we were with you last we'll come straight back to you what are you giving hot fuzz i'm giving hot fuzz a, I'm going to give it a solid four Andes out of five. <laughs> Yourselves it's, out of five. It's, it's double the amount in the film, so it's <laughs> So is better. that you're giving it eight out of five? <laughs> sure. No, I'm stopping you at four. I'm stopping you at four. <laughs> uh, Drew, what are we scoring it? I Yeah, I have to say, I'm giving it five flying 
kicks to Granny's faces out of five. <laughs> a full on five. Wow. I think it's I think it's flawless. I think every time you go back and watch this film, you find new stuff. It's fantastic. There's nothing I would change. It's a five. There we go, Ross. Okay. It's gonna be my first ever five five crusty nice. jugglers out of five. <laughs> I think this is a one for me, a perfect movie, uh, a great comedy movie. It's it's up there with the great comedy movies in my eyes. Amazing. And you know what I Call me a sheep for following, but I am giving this movie a solid and thoroughly well-deserved five crazed geese. <laughs> crazed wow. swan, it isn't swan. a geese, it's yeah. a swan. Five crazed swans. <laughs> the one swan, actually. Out of five. Well, I wanted five, and oh, this yeah. probably turns up five times in the movie, so I'll stand <laughs> by my score. So there we have it, gents. Our combined score... Puts Hot Fuzz in a very, very strong second uh, with a combined score of 4.75 out of 5. Nice. There we go. It comes with a very, very strong recommendation seal from the sequel pitch team. Right, and without further ado, it's once again the time you've all been waiting for. It's time to get... Your sequel's pitched. Yeah. Right, while he's hype, I am going to go straight in this week. We are going to start with last week's winner, who actually messaged me and asked if I was picking the best or my favourite sequel, so I'm expecting good (laughs) things here because he wanted to add things he knew I'd love. Andy Henry, you are up. What is the title of your sequel pitch? I won't point out that you just said last week's winner rather than yeah, last week's rather host. Than last week's host. <laughs> I mean, except oh. you did just point it out. <laughs> Thanks. You so. literally said, I won't point out. <laughs> I won't point out that you fucked up. <laughs> I didn't Thanks want to. Everyone, hey, everyone else is fucking twat. I only mentioned it. Everyone else is picking on you. Last week's <laughs> host. <clears throat> but you did still message me asking if I was going to pick my favourite or the best. So I'm still standing by that. Well, point. I need to know if this was going to be based in Stoke or, or the same town. So. Well, you'll well we'll find out, won't we? I guess. What is the title of your sequel pitch? Uh, 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 mine is called Hot Fuzz, Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Thank you very much. Okay, here we go. Andy, take it away. Okay, so we open on a big Michael Bay action style opening, but pull back to find Angel and Danny watching a movie marathon. In the old traditional village, Chief of Police Angel is holding a village meeting where the village folk are complaining about things that need repairing in their houses and shops and the village in general. There's some guy that stands up and says, the shop, uh, the steps outside my shop are so cracked and damaged that if someone steps on them one more time, they're going to go straight through them. Uh, the problem is the village has no money in the bud- budget. Uh, the village folk tried to come up with ideas about how to raise money, and we have a funny scene like the Parks and Recs town hall scenes where everyone stands up having crazy ideas. The village hall store... Uh, nope. The village hall door swings open and we meet Craig Daniels, played by Daniel Craig, a millionaire businessman who made his money by developing cloning techniques. He wants to run for mayor and will boost the economy by allowing large corporations to come in and take over the independently run stores. At the police station later that day, everyone seems to be against the idea, saying allowing large corporations in to change the village will make it lose its charm and traditionalism. 
Over the next few days, Craig tries to win around the village folk, but it turns out that whoever speaks to Craig suddenly goes missing, and some of the village folk start saying they're for Craig and the change he wants to bring. They're also forgetting well-known things about the village and their own shops and houses. And we can call back to the same guy about the step where Angel goes, hey, I can help you feel, uh, fix your step. And he's like, what's wrong with my step? So the police start to get suspicious and investigate. Angel and Danny sneak to, uh, uh, not sneak. Angel and Danny speak to Craig and we meet Daniela, his assistant played by Karen Gilliam. And we see chemistry between her and Danny. Angel and Danny speak to Craig, but don't learn any facts. Daniela calls Craig away from his office, leaving enough time for Angel and Danny to search it. They find a few clues that show Craig's cloning technique isn't as ethical as he led people to believe. Angel and, Dan Angel and Danny follow the clues that lead them to a scary-looking laboratory outside of the village. They break in and take down the guards, and we can have the reoccurring fence gag that's in the other uh, Cornetto films, and we see the different techniques used by Angel and Danny. Angel being more efficient and skillful, Danny being more clumsy and just lucky. When they get inside, they see a few of the missing village folk, but before they can ask what's going on, the village folk knock them out. When the pair wake up, Cra uh, Craig tells them about his master plan. We learn that Craig grew up in the village and was the smartest kid but was picked on by the other kids, now the oldest village folk, because they never understood his crazy ideas. And we have a flashback to a young Craig in the school where he's trying to convince everyone about how one day there will be electronic mail that doesn't require stamps and crazy other ideas like that. The turn obviously turned out to be true. Um, he gets laughed at so much that he leaves the classroom and the village, and we have a sad scene of the kid walking over towards the horizon. Uh, Craig has come back to replace the people who bullied him with clones and destroy the village with capitalism. The pair break free and drive back as Craig tells Daniela it's time to move forward with the final phase of his plan. He pushes a button which opens a door and we hear the march of footsteps. The police gather the remaining village folk and Angel delivers a battle speech. The village folk cheer, but we see shadows coming over the horizon. As they get clearer, we see this is made up of the clone versions of the missing village folk. Suddenly, the clones already in the village attack. And we have a big battle scene where the village folk win by working together and knowing the village so well. And all the things that they were complaining, complaining about in the uh, opening town meeting uh, actually comes back to save them. Like the step guy walks over his step, but the clone that forgets goes in it, gets trapped, and the guy can kill him. The clone's uh, amnesia being their weakness. Angel and Danny find Craig as another Danny enters the room claiming to be the real Danny. And if we want, we can have a scene where Angel has to ask uh, each of them questions. Craig charges at Angel and knocks the gun out of his hand. One of the Dannys picks up the gun and Craig tells him to shoot Angel, causing the real Danny to jump in front of the bullet. I want that to kind of be a running gag. Daniela takes down the clone of Danny and Angel goes after Craig. When they meet, Angel says something like, you'll never take my home. And Craig introduces the cloned version of Angel and we have an Angel versus Angel fight, which will be just as badass as the cap on cap fight in Endgame. As Craig, as Craig tries to escape, he is greeted by the village folk who beat the shit out of him. We see the real Angel win and arrest Craig as Daniela takes Danny to the hospital where they kiss. The last scenes are the missing village folk being found and freed and everyone helping to rebuild the village, showing that they're in this together. Daniela taking up a new job in the police station and Angel and Danny being notified about another runaway swan. Amazing. So, uh, a few questions for you. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> first, first and foremost, clones. Um, where did the idea for clones come from? Because, again, I was thinking Hollywood, big blockbuster, um, mm -hmm. in set in a small town. I wanted to keep uh, them in the town, so I, I needed an outside body, basically, to come in and, and fuck shit up. And the first idea I kind of had was, like, a, an evil angel kind of clone. Um, and then that led me onto this, um, and then onto the title, which I think is great. <laughs> Fair. Um, on that, uh, I, I'm glad now that I know it's set in Sanford, that definitely helps. Um, you reference that. The, is there a specific reference you were going for with that title? No, it, I mean, 
uh, Edgar Wright and Sean, um, Sean, not Sean, uh, Simon Pegg are just big Star Wars fans. I think if they did this and they could get away with that title, I don't know if you can legally get away with it, but if they can, they, I think they would. It's a, it's a, it's a little nudge and a wink. Hey, with this, anything's game. Um, <laughs> I don't feel there's any more Star Wars referencing through the film, though. Would there be room for more of that if that was the way you were going to take it? Um, yeah, can do. I mean, yeah. I didn't have much. I didn't really was thinking they probably would be in big fans have some sort of references to Star Wars. Um, but yeah, definitely there's room for it. Okay. Um, this movie, it's we reference Angel as the chief of police there and um, Danny as sergeant, but th- there seems to be very little to do with the police in this movie. Um, so, which, considering hot fuzz, fuzz being a slang term for police, I mm-hmm. wonder where. Is this? Are we losing some legitimacy of a sequel for Hot Fuzz here? How would you um, make sure that it's still a police movie? Yeah, I see what you mean. Basically, every time I, every time I said like Village Folk, I did at one point write and the police, but I just wanted to like lump them in together. Um, we do have that. Like, I made sure there was one like one proper police scene where in the police station where everyone's talking about it. Um, but um, there, I mean, they help Danny and Angel with the clues and stuff. Um, they will, yeah. It's it, they will. It will be in it. Um, the focus will mainly, obviously, be on Danny and, and Angel, but they will be there. Cool. Okay. Good. Um, and last but not least, we introduced Daniela as a character in this movie um, as a love interest too. Is there? What was your kind of key drive behind introducing Daniela? I wanted someone. Again, originally she had a bit more of um, a backstory where she didn't want to work for like uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, and then her and Danny kind of have a sweet moment. Just wanted to find. I just wanted to give Danny a bit of love. Cool. Okay, I'm sure the boys have got other things that they may well talk about later. But for now, you have answered the questions that I have. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up, we shall prepare ourselves for Mr. Ross Holmston. Okay, I changed my movie title name like earlier and I forgot to put it on the thing. I don't know if you've got a question regarding my title. Uh, It's called Hot Fuzz with a Vengeance. Perfect. Um, Okay. If I have a question, I'll ask it. We'll find out. (laughs) Coolio. Here we go. Take it away. The movie opens and we see the skyline of London. We then focus on a regular looking factory, but quickly see men with guns packing drugs into boxes. It's an illegal drugs distribution centre. We then see two men, one slightly portlier than the other, all in black. They are sneaking into this factory. One is doing acrobatics, the other is not as limber. Uh, They remove their masks and we see that it's PC Angel and PC Butterman. Um... They have a bit of to and fro, and an angel says, let's bring the noise. Butterman says, fuck yeah. What follows is an action scene, much like a Zack Snyder slow-mo epic. There's a moment where Nicholas uh, throws a box at one of the bad guys. It hits him, and the contents falls out. It's Cornettos. They are transporting the drugs in Cornettos. Nicholas says, the perfect cream. We hear Danny shout, Noise! Um, the cr- perfect cr- crime, cream, cream. Anyway, uh, cut to the criminals all being beaten up. Uh, cut to the criminals all, be- uh, all beaten up in handcuffs. And Danny and Nicholas e- are eating a Cornetto waiting for the backup to arrive. N- not filled with drugs, obviously, because that would be weird. Uh, eventually they do. They're 
they are met by Martin Freeman. Um, it says, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, he met by Martin Freeman, Sergeant Martin Freeman, or whatever his name is in this. Uh, he congratulates them, but says they should have waited for backup and that things are different here in the big city. We established that they left Sanford uh, because it was getting too boring for them, and Nicholas always wanted to see the bright lights of London. Um, Martin Freeman says that he's going to have to dismiss them from duty for disobeying orders too many times. PC Angel says, I want to speak to the Met Inspector. We then have a repeat of the first scene from the first movie in which Steve Coogan comes in, but in this movie, they actually have to wait for him to arrive. Cue an awkward silence scene. Um, Steve Coogan arrives and, said the, and says the same thing. Nicholas says he wants to take it further, and they send for the chief inspector. Cue another awkward scene. And then Bill Nye comes in and asks for both their badges and guns, and they hilariously hand over multiple different weapons. Um, cut to a few weeks later. Nicholas and Danny are watching John Wick and eating Cornettos in their flat when all of a sudden the doors blow in and Danny and Nicholas are blown over and their ears are ringing. Um, two armed men come into the flat. Uh, they are followed by a man in a black suit. It's Pierce Brosnan. Oh, shit. We learn that his name is Robert Skinner. It's Simon Skinner's brother, Timothy Dalton. Uh, it's, uh, and we learn that he is here for revenge for his brother. And we learn that Timothy Dalton died in hospital. Uh, we see then... Uh, uh, we see him then destroy Danny's prized DVD collection and Nicholas's peace lily. He orders the two guys to kill the boys and leave. Uh... So, the boys manage to get out of being killed in a hilarious way. Maybe the bad guys get killed by their own hand. They rush outside and give chase to, uh, to blah, 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 Pierce Brosnan um, in a car. Uh, insert a 10-minute chase scene, obviously, because I like a little 10-minute chase scene. Uh, all over London. At one point, Danny seems to have missed the turn that Robert Skinner's car went down. Nicholas says, where are you going? To which Danny replies, what's the matter, Nicholas? You've never taken a shortcut before. Uh, and then he drives down an alleyway and immediately realises it's a dead end, so then has to reverse all the way back. <laughs> uh, Robert Skinner gets away, and then Danny says how this is so much like Die Hard with a Vengeance. The next portion of the film is the boys realising they can't do this alone and they need help from some old friends. Cue cameos from all uh, the old police officers from Sanford coming to London. After some more action scenes with Pierce Brosnan's bad guys and scenes of the country folks fitting into the bus busy London scene, uh, they learn that Robert is the CEO of Safeway Supermarket and it's a cover job and that he's actually an arms dealer. Jesus! They locate him at the Safeway's head office and all go there. Uh, the last fight scene is the boys and the rest of the gang taking on Robert Skinner's henchmen in the Safeway offices. All of the henchmen are either knocked out or maimed. Uh, you know, hilarious maiming. Uh, <laughs> Nicholas and Danny both take on Robert Skinner on the top of the roof. And Robert ends... Uh, uh, Robert ends up dangling off the side of the building and holding on to Nicholas's wrist. Danny shouts, Die hard! And Nicholas remembers the scene and then says, yippee ki motherfucker! And then releases his Velcro strap, 
from his watch. Robert plummets only about four stories as the small as it's a small office and breaks both of his legs and it fades to black. Um, the movie ends with the boys in an office talking to a mysterious woman. Nicholas says, thank you for the new job, M. End of the movie. Oh, God. Right. So thanks ever so much, Ross. First of all, first of all, would you care to elaborate on the last line of your movie, please? So M is, you know, James Bond's, like, it's it's Judy Dench. Judy Dench is going to make a cameo, and it's going to be her. And basically, you know, if they, they want to make another one uh, in the trilogy, they're going to work for MI5. You and are tying Hot is. Fuzz into the James Bond universe. Maybe. Just to confirm. Maybe. No, okay, it's more, just it's not, to confirm that. It's more, it's more, it's more of an homage. It's not actually going to be like, it's, they've just got Judy Dench to do a cameo. Like, and it's <laughs> right. like more of an homage. I don't think they're actually going to put in, they're not going to have the music of James Bond. It's just going to be a little homage. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Thought but I like it anyway. Very interesting. Um, Robert Skinner is the CEO of Safeways. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you envisage <laughs> pitching this to Safeway Supermarket Incorporated to try and get them on side and protect yourself from any kind of potential defamation cases? Saying that was, they're essentially drug smugglers. Yeah, no, I will make sure that it is definitely his bit that it that Safeways is just a front, um, and that he 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 has that job as a front and he, the business connection of Safeways is not like going to tarnish their their <laughs> reputation of uh, being drug <laughs> drug dealers you know i mean it's also okay. I, you could also yeah. say about cornettos having drugs in them but you know anyway but yeah, yeah I, I mean, that I, was I would... only one small scene and they could you know cornetto can't control that it's not cornetto endorsing <laughs> drugs i feel like this is safeway endorsing <laughs> drugs but hey each to their own. I like it. And that's why Strong his answer. brother has been put in that. Like, you know, he's he's kept in the business. Um, what, yeah, I'd say for it would be funny. The manager of Summerfield from the first movie. Oh, oh shit, it's Summerfield. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I meant Summerfield. In the whole pitch, okay. I meant Summerfield. Noted. Um, right. I just I thought it was quite funny that the two brothers yeah. ended up managing <laughs> were, different maybe, crap maybe. Stuff. People um, like that, I'd say, is better. Yeah. Their yeah, mother would be so proud. That was all part of your Damn intentional it. play. Wow. No, I was trying to do Summerfield, but I t- <laughs> totally forgot that it wasn't. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You say that a bunch of country folk are going to turn up in London. Um, yeah. Would this not cause problems and raise eyebrows with the Met Police? And just on that kind of note, how how has the fact that Danny and Nicholas have been suspended hamper their operations? Um. I what do you mean as in like how does it it how are they able to do the searchy stuff when they've had their badges and guns taken away well uh, would the Met Police not be concerned a bunch of people from Sanford turning up means that perhaps Danny and Nicholas are up to something they shouldn't be well, they, they, you know, they take a holiday. They, they'll <laughs> okay. explain that they take a holiday. Uh, and they're, they're coming there. Um, uh, they're just going on holiday uh, to London. And it just happens. And also, I'm going to have a... Obviously, I didn't explain it, but they, uh, there's going to be scenes where they, they don't really... 
like they they maybe have a guy that's still alive or is they capture a guy and then he reveals that um that he's the ceo of the of uh, summerfield or safeway whichever one um and that's how they do it they don't really like it's basically just like escape it's they're enemies of the state basically they're enemies of this guy and they're just trying to get away but also trying to find out who the fuck's trying to kill them um although they do already cool. know because they show he shows them but like how how we get to him basically because they Okey don't know dokey. Uh, Drew's got super frowny face. I'm sure he'll come back to you later. Mm. I only have one more question. Um, Go for and it. It starts as uh, Ross. I am a big fan of your uh, your signature pitch tool that you now seem to have incorporated with the chase sequence. A big yeah. fan. However, I was kind of waiting for what the result of that fuck up was gonna add to the movie. Perhaps I, I was waiting for impact. There does basically there doesn't seem to be any real character or relationship development for anyone in this movie. And can we expect any? Essentially. Uh, yeah, I mean there's gonna be like the thing that um you know what I mean I wanna f- you know, try and focus on how Angel feels without the police, you know, and how he, and there's going to be, you know, conversations that he has with Danny about it and the fact that he's not a policeman anymore or he's been suspended. And what is he without that? And, you know, okay. I, I, nice. the core of it is an action movie. Um, yes, you can have character development, but like, that's not the main thing. You know, I want it to be an homage to, you know, revenge movies like Die Hard with a Vengeance, like Die Hard and all these other ones. Like, okay, uh, I that's would argue there's some very strong character developments in these movies, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I'm not saying there isn't, but I'm focusing on more action than. But I, you know, I haven't fleshed out every scene, so there will be lines in it where you could, you know, work on the relationship between Danny and um, Angel, and also like I said, him losing his thing and the relationship he has with the other old PCs from Sanford as well. Blah, blah, blah. So what you're telling me, Ross, is you just bring me the pitch. You don't write the script. (laughs) Yeah, big boy. Can even get it in when I'm hosting. Get it. (laughs) Right, thank you very much. Okay, we are moving certainly onto our, well, last but certainly not least, my fellow four-time champ, picture oh. drew toynbee what's your title drew? thank you very much uh my title is hot fuzz to colon hot fuzz for life there you go take it away um so inspector nicholas angel of the sanford police department um is being knighted for services to policing for his community-led efforts and um, we have a montage of the silly but effective policing in sanford Um, Nicholas is heading to London and bringing Danny as his date. Um, As they're travelling back to London, you see the phone signal going up like the montage in the beginning. But things feel a bit sinister. Danny has never been to London before in his whole life, and so they do lots of touristy things and see all the sites, setting up locations that you suspect might be used in an action movie later. Um, And Nicholas starts to notice sort of people watching them, giving them sort of funny looks. Um, You then have Danny and Nicholas having dinner in a restaurant the night before the ceremony discussing all the time that's passed in Sanford and how it feels to be a policeman in modern Britain. 
When they arrive at the palace for the ceremony, there's a huge protest outside, um, protesting a police officer being knighted. They arrive and Danny and Nicholas's car is attacked outside the palace. It gets rammed and chased by a load of cars. You have a massive, exciting car chase. Um, every time that it looks like they're about to go to one of the big landmarks, though, Nicholas drives in a different direction and Danny's really disappointed that they don't have cool action scenes anywhere cool. And Nicholas is like, no, you don't go where everyone knows you'll go. You, you go to the real London. Um, Danny's trying to call 999 but Nicholas being such a stickler for the rules won't let him take off his seatbelt to retrieve his phone um, the chase goes on for quite a long time you have a fence scene of them running through a garden um, they're trying to make it to the nearest police station they find that both of their phones have stopped working so they can't call 999 they ask someone on the street for their phone but they see bad guys catching up and they start shooting so they have to keep running they realise that these attackers must be really sophisticated. Then um, they can't work out why they would be targeting them, especially since it seemed to be coming from a protest. Um, eventually, they decide to change clothes in a shop because they're both still in like their full tuxedos, like military garb. Um, but they don't want to use credit cards and give away their location because they're so sophisticated, um, and so they have to steal the clothes. But Nicholas like leaves his contact details, and Danny's there going like, "Oh, it's so cool! It's like in America where a policeman commandeers their car, but it's them just like taking some chinos in their <laughs> shirt." Um, and Danny thinks it's awesome. They make it to a police station. They realise that the anti-police protesters, protesters are trying to kill them. And then some plainclothes detectives come and escort them to a safe room. But in the elevator, Danny notices that they have syringes um, in the mirrors and you do the same shot from Die Hard with a Vengeance where Bruce Willis notices the badge number of his partner who they killed. And so you have the, the fight in the elevator and they inject them all with the with whatever's in the syringe and they escape. They realise someone in the police is behind it. And so they go to the only person in London that either of them know, Nicholas's ex, Janine. <laughs> um, she's now happily married to the guy who sh who she was seeing in the first movie um, and gives them a place to hide. And you have Kate Blanchett come back um, and you have a really awkward scene where the four of them all sit and have a cornetto on the sofa and it's really super awkward. Um Nicholas and Danny realise they need to draw out the people who are after them, so they set up a trap. Um, they call back uh, the team from Sanford to come and help out. Um, Nicholas lets himself get captured, and it's revealed that it is Steve Coogan and Martin Freeman working with Danny's great-aunt wanting revenge. Steve Coogan and Martin Freeman obviously have been promoted up, but Nicholas is still making them look bad, and so they wanted... Uh, to make the police look good again and make him a martyr and give them reasons to step up their policing by having a policeman be killed. Danny's great aunt, who, like, I'm being serious with this, I was seeing as Judy Dench, is there specifically <laughs> to be the action movie, the action movie cliche of, is it a brother or something? Like, oh, oh it's my long lost brother. But Danny's like, oh, no, it's my, it's my long lost great aunt. <laughs> and just have that be a bit crap. But that's the the trope that I'm trying to go for. However, they are they're about to kill Nicholas, but then the Sanford police show up by getting all of the local people from the east end of London to live stream what's happening, and it shows off how corrupt the system is. And then obviously you have a really cool fight in the rain, but it's actually not rain. It's like Sprite coming out of a broken lorry that's been damaged in in an explosion or something because of the fight. The movie ends ultimately with Nicholas getting his knighthood and 
someone is like, right, so how would you actually fix the police? And he says he has some ideas, but there are other people you should ask first. And he brings together lots of people from across the country and the community to hopefully signal real change in policing, whilst hopefully having had some fun on the way. There you go. Thank you very much, Drew. So I think first things first, it's something that needs addressing straight away. You're not shying away from the current UK climate. Uh, with protests taking place, we got to acknowledge it, there's protests taking place around the UK at the moment against proposed new police powers. Have you considered how you'll either utilise this to reinforce that narrative or perhaps distance the movie enough to get around it? Um. Well, so my... I, uh, listeners listeners of this podcast, podcast will probably know that I'm quite the lefty. <laughs> and so I'm using this film to say, hey, the protesters aren't necessarily the bad ones and actually there can be people in power who are utilising these protests and twisting them for their own means. But it, it's, it, it isn't that much about the protests. It is more... Ultimately, I was just like, right, Hot Fuzz doesn't actually need a sequel. It's perfect as is. Mm -hmm. How could I make a sequel happen? And I was like, well, it's got to, what other genres of action movie could there be? And there's, I got to thinking of London Has Fallen and them going back to London. And I was like, who's the baddie? It should be someone in the police again. And then I was like, oh, Martin Freeman and Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan's now the chief inspector because Bill Nye would have retired. And they still hate him. And that's why. And then the protests were just kind of the flavour that was added on. Ultimately, you could lift the protests out fairly effectively mm -hmm. and it could just work. And if, if a producer were too worried about that aspect of it, I think it could ultimately be taken out. I but, wonder if it's perhaps less that and more the painting of the police as the antagonists and perhaps not government, if that is the kind of stance that you're taking. What um, do you mean? Is there is there any risk to upsetting people um, if you're painting it out that it is the chief of police and the higher ups in the police department that are in fact the antagonists and oh, not I mean, a power perhaps seen above them, like a, a shadowy power, mm, um, a government power? Let's be honest, you know the the talk about these police powers in twenty first twenty twenty one UK is a government act that is giving the police the power. It's not the police giving themselves the power. So I'm 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 looking at this more just mm -hmm. as the systemic issue and cool. Obviously ultimately if you could you deal with the entire system from mm -hmm. the absolute top down, but in the context of this being a film about a good policeman who follows the rules and gets results from it. Yeah. It it felt right for him to try and fix that part of the system first. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um what was the you kinda touched on it a little bit and I'd be intrigued to see how you envisioned this uh great aunt journey to find herself in the position <laughs> that she is. What's her driving force? Oh, she's like, um, so she would have been Jim Broadbent's aunt. Yeah. And Danny, Danny would be like, she's my dad's, my, my dad was her favourite nephew. And it, it's literally just the joke of having the long lost family member show up and be one of the baddies. Like it's a, it's a completely throwaway joke. I'm, I'm imagining having 
Simon Pegg do another flying kick over a fence and just kicking Judy Dench in the face and she's out of the fight immediately. Um it, it is it's it is it's basically a cameo. It's not a substantial role. It's, it's still a little bit of wonderful. I did enjoy it. Um you one of the questions I liked listening you've put some thought into the cinematography and the stylization of the sequel, you know, capturing that similar vibe from the first one. Um, which which is great, but do you think that style of cinema it kind of perhaps feeds back to our earlier conversation? Do you think that style of cinema is still going to be as effective in twenty twenty one, and would it engage with audiences as well as it did? Um, in it's yeah, it's kind of looking going back to our discussion about Commando. I would I would be seeing the action movies in this being in a more john wick modern action inspired um as far as you can do it without obviously having simon Pegg and nick frost suddenly doing like jujitsu moves because that's not i suppose well you could you could absolutely have them do that or have nick frost doing some crazy jujitsu moves and just have a line of like oh yeah i've been and oh, that fourteen years of jujitsu's done me wonders, and then get him to do proper John Wick stuff. But yeah, I would, I I would be. See- I'm seeing this more of a chase movie than anything else. Like the majority of it is this chase in the middle, and it would be it would be homaging those kinds of action movies and more modern stuff than the classic Point Breaks and Bad Boys Two and classic americana action movies okay great um i'm sure the boys again will have their own things to say i only have one more question and it is uh, kind of in a similar way to russ's i again this movie feels a little bit light on any real character or relationship growth where and what can we expect to see any and where would that be um honestly i you could have nicholas and danny I, I thought about having them have some conflict during the chase. Um, but it's... For me, it, it, it's a really, really tough one. It's a tough film to sequelize because they have such a pure relationship mm-hmm. to have... And their relationship is the core of the first movie. And to have that be broken down to be built back up again to have it be broken down in in act two for the all is lost moment but then have them come back together at the end would it could feel like such a cliche that it would work really well Mm -hmm. but me wanting this to be a chase and for it to be frenetic and pacey mainly because it was the only way that i could feel like i could make it make sense in the grounded world that the first one basically exists in um there just wasn't really space for it and i would be banking on the audience being here to see simon Pegg and nick frost having chemistry doing silly action things again and having a a big fight with some classic british actors at the end of the movie (laughs) perfect all right well there we go thank you the 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 emotional the sort of the the message of the film the growth is is the message at the end about policing and about being a good policeman police officer 
Some may say that was a strong save at the end there, Drew. (laughs) Um, Right then, chaps, thank you very much. I have heard three, actually, I really love all three pitches. I've genuinely got quite a lot to ponder over here. So whilst I do that, I'm opening the floor and I want you guys to tell me why perhaps I shouldn't pick your fellow pitchers movie, but more importantly, why I should be picking yours. The floor is yours. All right, pick mine basically because it's the whole point of the first film was him in this new village. And both Drew and Ross spend their whole time out of the village. It's pointless. Mine keeps the same. Uh, okay, go on. Go on, bring it. Yeah, I will bring it. Um, the first one being about a quintessential English village and the relationships between the people and yours being, hey, rich man who clones humans has arrived <laughs> and who's perfected it to such a degree he can grow adult humans with their personalities but only missing some memories this is i thought for a minute i was like oh my god andy's gonna tie it in and say that this is actually science in the same world as um no in the same world as the world's end and it's going to be replacing people and they're the blanks and it's going to tie it all together and then i was like oh no 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 it's just another james bond actor showing up called Craig Daniels <laughs> yeah. for just because Andy couldn't think of something because I it feels like Andy you went oh uh, sequels second film sequel titles uh what's a se- uh, attack of the clones that's the second one and then you just came up with a story about clones and just stuck <laughs> yeah, it in Yeah you completely Stanford. forgot what I said earlier in my uh, in my answer when I said you know whole... Mate, just because they're nerdy yeah. it doesn't fit thematically at Ooh, so we've got the like, we've got a tradition we've got what the first one was which is a big hollywood blockbuster in this small village the whole point is an outsider coming in and this ta- this town come together at the end when they're rebuilding their town that's symbolic and when yeah, they absolutely just why is it clones <laughs> it's ridiculous that's... that's the whole point of it but the what? first one's not that it's still grounded What's yeah but the... so he's, he's supposed to come in real. and he's supposed to he's supposed to want to change everything to be like big corporations. So we need a big multimillionaire. And, I, and go wacky. Go wacky. for me. But, but no. <laughs> it's, but the first one's not wacky in that way at all. It just feels like way too much of a departure. I... And likewise, for Ross's, Ross's, unfortunately, the characters... The, the characters get bored yeah. and leave the village. The whole, he, he refuses bad. a call at the end of the first film. They basically that symbol, like, symbolises yeah, he he's... says, I'm not going to yeah. leave. I like how he tries to reference Die Hard with a Vengeance, but then he ends with the Die Hard 1 bad guy die, like death. I, I mean, I'm okay with that. Cause it I, I, it, it, it genuinely got some big laughs from me. Yeah, but then, but, but then have the same film. You've got, you've got two different Die Hards. Have what, pick, pick a Die Hard and stick to uh, it. How about you pick I, a look, genre that you're pastiching instead of doing Attack of the Clones? And then what, what, is, your, what is yours... The whole thing about Hot Fuzz is it's making fun of action movies. Just because I didn't, just because I called the title Die Hard with a Vengeance, I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm and not the brother saying comes it in is, and wants to take vengeance. Yeah, yeah there's, there's mm. elements of that, mm. but it's also, mm-hmm. it's just a franchise of Die Hard. I'm not oh, literally okay. going, sure. do you remember that ending of Die Hard where he did do that? Oh, but that's not the right reference. You should have referenced that. You should have said Die Hard with a Vengeance, you idiot. Your mind's so, referencing you, lots you, of different you, action you, movies. Wait, hold on. Go on. Mine's referencing lots of different action movies. However, yours, what, what is yours uh, pastiching? What is your film pastiching? 
No, I'm I'm focusing more on like the town and what that represents. It doesn't need it, like it can it can it can take it can take the piss out of like clone movies and stuff like that if it wants to. But my, but, my but then you're missing the whole the well then you're missing no, the whole can, that, genre it, it, of clone movies. You're missing Every the clone whole movie, point. basically. Yeah. You're missing the whole <laughs> point of what Hot Fuzz is. You're missing it's the homage. You're it's missing the point by having it out of the movie. village, Ross. You've just got a whole new movie. Because it's actually more interesting to take these small. It's interesting to take Danny, who's a small cop, into a big into a big environment like that. It it works more. So why doesn't he just go on holiday? My thing would have, huh? Why don't you just go on holiday? You've you've literally you said they've got bored. He got bored because it's been thirteen years. Because it's been thirteen years. Of course, they're gonna like Danny's older. Danny um, wants to. Danny wants to see. Now he's older. The, he wants the, to get really into that London life and get down and, and tackle that long, young crime. <laughs> no, he just wants to see London, and he was like, he he put him for a transfer. Thirteen my, years later, did he my, never just go for a weekend? My my film homages to action movies. I've got the the stereotype of a revenge movie i have elements of what hot fuzz is as a seat as a film it's a homage to action movies uh drew has elements of homages to the, them but like i feel you need to go like full bl- blown and andy's doesn't make any like homage to any genre he's he he has a sci-fi title and then like clones like i would i would i would appreciate i would be like cool that's fair if he stuck to sci-fi and went this is an homage to a sci-fi movie like invasion of the body snatchers which is what his science pitch was by the way uh he loves he loves a clone movie and he loves oh my god he does yeah it's andy's running thing (laughs) yeah clones it's we find it we figured out what like ev- all filmmakers have that deep psychological <laughs> thing that they keep coming back to and Andy's is human beings being replaced with something sinister. <laughs> well, the first couple of pictures it was ending as I started, so I've moved on at least. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move let's move on to Drew's then. So Drew, the Queen yeah, knights him. Why him? Well, what's special about uh, him for his services to police? And I know we have a funny funny montage about the silly things he's he's like done. So has he done more silly things than good things? When is this? When's it set? No, it's silly but good. It's set now, and in the intervening years, he has brought in just good, solid policing in a, in... that is inherently ridiculous because of the inhabitants of Sanford still being the inherently ridiculous people that but they what were in cr- the first what are these movie. ridiculous crimes that have made him awarded with a, a knighthood? Well, it, no, it's not about the crimes. It's about the initiatives in community policing and in this small town making it better i well as as matt always says i've just brought (laughs) oh shit that's such a way out that's such a way out well yes it is if you want want me to well how how much police work have you actually got in yours i feel like they just kind of stumble on them being on the run they they keep trying to call the police they keep trying to do the sensible thing which would be to hunker down call the police and get back go to a payphone and they are unable to do that Uh, or ask someone else for their phone on the street yeah and again they they try to do that and then the bad guys start catching them up and they have to keep running Okay, okay, okay. I've got to stop it there. Also, because I, I, I don't know how even when I'm the host, I start getting bashed in these bloody episodes now. So, <laughs> no, uh, that wasn't. No, that no, wasn't no. That, I'm, I'm, I'm not just... talking about that Drew. I'm talking about another Drew in this podcast 
quartet that are giving bad mouth. Right, okay. <laughs> I actually, you know what? I feel like that debate, it may not always influence the host, but I feel like that influences me quite a lot. So, I've made a decision. First of all, I do love that all of you have picked up on and carried through and filled your sequels full of references and homages. Um, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg would definitely be proud of that. Um, Andy, Andy, I'll start with you. I really, I do really like yours. Um, and I'm, you know, the, the idea of kind of bringing in clones and bringing in the sci-fi genre and whatnot um, was really set well with me. I like that there's some real character journeys in with it as well. But I genuinely thought that this was a very clever link through to the world's end. And the way that you passionately shook your head when Drew suggested that and you said no, then made me kind of detach and realise that I'm not sure where this film now sits. Um, that's Andy. Ross. What? what? Wait a minute, what? Hey, where I am this, giving my verdicts sits? now. All right, I'm all giving right. my verdicts. I thought you were tied in <laughs> considering this is a sequel to a trilogy. I thought you'd done some very clever work there. But you hadn't. Ross... I like that you also pictured a sequel that very much feels like it kind of fits in the genre and feels with the style and the uh, tones of it. Um, but I think that could also just be the constant references to Cornetto's as well. Um, I'm, again, I'm not really sure that I'm buying that they just want to go to London, especially if it is set in modern day and they're quite a bit older doing MI5-y stuff um, when they're not Daniel Craig build maybe uh, a bit of a leap a bit far-fetched um drew i uh again i've kind of raised some of the points that i'm concerned about but i do like that we are you know we're using freeman and coogan's characters incorporating the great aunt um we are finding an antagonist that kind of resonates and we're using a storyline that kind of resonates uh, and isn't skirting away from 2021 society and its current events I do, however, also think that that poses quite a lot of hurdles and will create, if I was looking at this as a producer, it would certainly create some real concerns for me from a marketing perspective and the potential backlash. Ultimately, there can only be one winner. And this week's winner now has to come with a caveat. Otherwise, I will pick a different winner. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Okay? This week's winner, on the understanding that they will work harder on their sequel pitch when they present it to Universal to tie in Hot Fuzz and the World's End this week's sequel pitch winner what? and winner of the what? Invisible Baton of Honor is yeah. Andy because I was in on it for so long. What the fuck? I if was in can, on it for so long. To be honest, to be honest, I yeah, I'm up for that. I'm well up for all that. Cre all credibility. I am. I'm not doing this podcast you. ever again. <laughs> me and me and Ross. Are done. I will stand by it. No, he keeps the village. He keeps the town. He cleared up that it was Sanford I keep the still. Yeah. Um, you know, there is. We are in an age where in 2021 eugenics and. Uh, cloning and whatnot does exist mm. maybe mm. not in the level yeah. that this is we are dealing yeah. with a we're dealing with a trilogy that does separate itself from reality yes hot fuzz grounds itself 
But it's in, not a real trilogy. But I and am also, dealing with this from the perspective is that, as I said, it comes with the caveat that it beautifully harmonizes the two. And who's to say that these don't exist in a metaverse? We're dealing with multiverses and metaverses everywhere in cinematography these days. Ross brought in Bond, so you can't sit there, Ross, and say that you, you can't sit there and argue caveats because you essentially just decided to bring James Bond into the end of it. No, I didn't. I brought in one character called M. Hey, hey, That's you played Dench. the Bond theme tune. Dench. My first question, my first question was, what does that stand for? And you said, well, you know, it means that, that if there's a next it's film, a, they'll work with homage, MI5. Mate. It's an homage, unlike Andy's, which isn't an homage I to anything. Take your answers. It is a homage, I don't really, in fact. Hey, it's you, a homage, you, Andy, in fact, Andy in a lot took, of ways. Andy took the, the fake jeopardy of the first film, which is that they were worried that they were going to commercialise the town. And the first good film goes no no that wasn't the worry that would be silly that would be way too obvious and then just builds the entire sequel around that exact thing that they dismiss in the first film and makes it about adult human clones (laughs) yeah i cannot believe you have picked that one i can believe i have picked this one i stand by my decision for it andy henry this week's winner Thank you very what much. What are we pitching sequels for next week? We are going to be pitching for what I believe will be our first horror. Um, I want you guys to watch and pitch me sequels for The Quiet Place 2. There we go. Thank you very much. Well, um, there you have it. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Or perhaps you didn't. <laughs> but hopefully you did. Don't forget, however, as always, everybody, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sequel Pitch, and you can find us on Instagram at Sequel Pitch Podcast. If you think, and you probably will after this week, that you've got a pitch that could beat ours, please, we would love to hear them. However, all that remains to say right now is goodbye from Ross. Goodbye. Goodbye from Drew. Goodbye. Goodbye from this week's worthy winner and yeah listen. goodbye everyone thanks for listening Woo! and it's goodbye from me don't listen to the rest of them i'm the host all right i'm the winner bye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>